0: That's awesome. Just love singing out to our king. Just like the beauty of the, of the gospel. Hey, uh, let's do this. If you need Bibles, uh, Leon has Bibles. He'll pass them out. You can raise your hand. Um, right now, our local body is going through the book of Proverbs. What we do in our local body is uh, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, and our heart is that basically we'll go through every book of the Bible. And then um, if I'm still alive, um, whoever's teaching is still alive, we'll go through all the books of the Bible again. <laughs> and our heart behind that is that um, as, as humans, uh, we find ourselves um, being willing and desiring to stay in areas in the scriptures that are very comfortable. And so what's exciting about already, already ascribing that we're just going to go through books of the Bible, um, it allows us to say it's not about us staying in those areas, but it really is about us being faithful and understanding the whole counsel of God's word. And so um, that's, our, that's our, our posture behind that. Uh, as we're going through books, um, right now we're in Proverbs. And if you need a Proverbs packet, which I think is an awesome packet that our body put together, um, huge cheat sheet. Uh, if you raise your hand, uh, Mike can hook you up. Um, and hopefully it will help you in your own <clears throat> personal devotion. With Christ. Um, it's been huge in my own journey. Uh, there's a lot in there as far as first and foremost, you're learning uh, to continue to uh, build your muscles and your capacity on Bible study, Bible study methods. Simple things like observation, interpretation, application. And so uh, there's questions in each of those that continue to help you in that realm. Um, also, uh, what I love about it um, is the question center on the gospel and point you back to Jesus. But also, I love the fact uh, that uh, at the back of it, in the back, uh, what we've done is we've, we've taken, and this is where you guys can even, you know, uh, can send us some support for all this. I'm just kidding. But um, what... What we've done is we've, take, we've done a lot of homework for you. So, so let, me, let me help you understand something about Proverbs that's very important. And this is very important. Every week I say this because we are very serious about trying to have as much as we can on this side of heaven, sound doctrine. And so what happens in a book like Proverbs is you come in as a visitor and you haven't been here at Maccab and you don't get what we're about. You will come and it will affirm something that's kind of can, um, can be dangerous. And that is it will affirm that Christianity is about... Um, uh, Basically a big help session And basically you come here to learn how to round out your life And become a better person We would say that's counter gospel That's not why you're here Actually you come because uh, It's not about you making yourself a better person It's about a good God and bad people And then what good God does is he makes bad people new so that's, that's, the good, that's what happens, okay? So it ain't about you trying to fix it, you know, like, you know, make the ends meet, right? That's not the deal. Uh, and so what happens in Proverbs, because Proverbs, a certain genre of Proverbs, first is wisdom literature, um, and what that means is wisdom, but also a Proverbs that says, why the skillful living, which is what the word means, Uh, What can happen is you have, you know, verses 1 being something very different in verse 2. And the reason why is because the author's intent was a couple things. First, um, he was wanting to provide pithy sayings uh, that would help us understand how uh, to be godly and wise in Christ, okay? And so um, there's a lot of assumptions in that. Um, The first thing, he gives us pithy sayings, and I say by that, uh, a lot of these sayings in the book of Proverbs are, are, are truisms, okay? Truisms are not promises, Okay, so you can't, you can't quote, if you're doing that, stop it. Don't quote Proverbs like they're promises because it's not biblical, okay? Uh, Proverbs are truism, which means that a very wise person, the wisest man in all creation, that like God, God says he made Solomon the wisest man, right? He says what he does is he goes through his life and he basically says, Here's what I've seen. So you got Solomon writing Proverbs and you got a couple cats named Lamuel and Agur, right? They did a couple Proverbs. But these guys said, doing life, um, here's what seems to be most wise, okay? That means that usually these things work out in this way, but not all the time, right? And so very simple proverbs, they say, you know, uh, train away way in a child, uh, the way a child should go and he won't depart from them, right? So you train a child, you discipline a child, you preach the gospel, you give them the brainwash, you do all that stuff, right? And then they, all, then they, you know, and they're 18, 19 years old and they're still crack dealers. Well, what happened, right? You go, oh, my goodness, God was unfaithful. Absolutely not. God is faithful. He's loving. He's awesome, right? The issue is sin, okay? And so, so, so truisms work out a lot of the times, but sometimes they don't. Okay? And what's cool about that is um, it, all, it allows us to always have to give God the glory, right? If it was that, like, oh, if I do this, then my, my kid will be awesome, then you wouldn't give God the glory because you would think your parenting made him good, right? But it wasn't. See, at the end of the day, when your kid's awesome and walking with the Lord and seeking Jesus, you still have to say praise Jesus, right? Because it was grace. It wasn't you and reading your books and don't make me count to three and all these things, right? It was grace. So, so, that, so, that, so that's what Proverbs is doing, right? Proverbs, he's saying there's truism, but also on um, the point of Proverbs is he's trying, to, he's trying to do a literary work where when you read all these different Proverbs, he wants these little sayings to be memorable. So he wants to make sure that you can memorize them so you can have them in your heart so when you're going around doing life, and wisdom a lot of times isn't about what's really bad and what's really good, right? It doesn't take a lot of of wrestling to determine those, right? You know what's really bad and what's really good. You need wise and skillful living many times when there's something really good and something best, okay? And you have to ask the Lord, how do I choose most wise when there's two good things and how, Holy Spirit, help me understand what's the best thing. That's we you need wisdom, right? So he wants you to be able to to be able to memorize and know these Proverbs so they can pop up in your mind. So they're, they're memorable. They're short sayings, okay? All that to say, <clears throat> they're all over the place. And so what we've done in that Proverb packet, uh, which I'm really affirming our Mac app specifically, get this packet and, and use it in your Towns of Jesus because we've taken, and these guys work so hard, we've taken the different topics, right? Because to go through the book like a historical book, we would say, would be theologically irresponsible. But we realize that because of its genre, the way that they wrote the book, the best way to go through Proverbs is topical. Is to say, we look at a topic, okay, you look at the mouth, or you look at greed, or you look at um, being a fool, or you look at wisdom. And then you say, I want to do a systematic study on that issue. And so that's what we've done. And what what our leaders have done is they've taken um, those different topics and they've given you all the verses. I mean, that's awesome. So I just want to encourage you. That's in the back. And my one brother, he smiled. He's like, yes. I know, isn't that good, man? I, I tell you, that's like unbelievable. So, so take that and really use that and allow the Lord to be glorified in your life by growing wise in Jesus through Proverbs. I tell you all that because we're going to be talking about a topic, but what I don't want you to hear is, hey, this is how you become better, right? That's not the goal, all right? The goal is in all this is to point to Christ and help us see the gospel um, with a different lens, that's, that's the goal of Proverbs. And all these different aspects, they allow us to grow in Christ, and they allow us to see the gospel in a different way, and then we bring glory to God, and then he makes us more like himself. Yes, we become more godly, but the aim isn't to be just a better person. So I just want to make sure we get that before we hit a topic every week, because we don't want this to be self-help Oprah-esque, okay? That's not our, that's not our goal. It's not Oprah. It's Christ, and we exalt him, okay? So... Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in into a, um, a, a difficult uh, topic, and uh, hopefully we'll be encouraged uh, in the gospel, and we'll see how this points to Jesus. All right, guys? If you bow your heads and pray with me, it'd be great. Lord, we do. We, uh, we come to you, and we just ask that you would, um, you would pick up the slack, Lord. You would bless us. You would just um, allow us to understand your word. Um, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your scriptures, and uh, we pray uh, that Um, Lord, you would use my words. You would use um, um, the passion of our body to just want to know you and that you would meet us here, Lord. Um, That all of us would would um, would re-understand, we'll preach the gospel to ourselves while we're learning from you. Um, And we pray you'll be exalted, Jesus. So by your grace, would you use my words? Would you use this time? Would you be exalted? Would you be made much of? Um, And we ask this in uh, Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> excuse me, I, um, our whole body, man, it was all over the place. People were in a big epidemic of people coughing and falling out and stuff. I've been crazy. So I'm doing all right. So don't be scared to hug me or anything, but just got a cough. My so smokers cough or something. I don't, know. I don't smoke that with a joke. Um, so, um, so here's what we're talking about. We're talking about, uh, this topic this day is reproof and correction. All right. Um, so, um, We'll be in Proverbs until probably the middle or a couple of weeks into September. And today we're talking about reproof and correction, which is a very intense topic. Uh, and I'll show you in a moment. Here's why. Because uh, we as people, we do not like to be corrected. Uh, we do not like reproof. And here's what this hits. And I, I'm the first candidate. So anything I'm saying here today, I'm preaching to myself. Um, because uh, this, hit the vi- this hits this, that sensitive, most potent area in all of our lives, our pride. We are prideful people. Right? And so um, I just want you to, I just want to make that clear. If you didn't know you're prideful, I thought I'd bring it up um, before we enter into the scriptures, okay? And what I want to do is... um, when talking about this issue of reproach and correction, we got to start off with some groundwork. We need to start off with some ground rules, all right? And so I want to start with some ground rules that's, that's founded on what the scriptures say, okay? Because I want to say here's, here's, here's the supposition uh, that, that Jesus gives us when we think about um, this area, when we think about the area of correction and reproof. He starts with these assumptions, okay? Uh, it's very important because if we don't have these assumptions, we're going to be skewed at some level in understanding this issue of reproof and correction, okay? First, first um, assumption is that the church belongs to Jesus. Okay, that's the first assumption um, when we start talking about this issue of reproof and correction. Right, Jesus is the one who has the right to say whether you and I individually or collectively are being disobedient. So Jesus is the one who gets to determine that. Right, it's Jesus Himself, not us. Right, that's the supposition He's assuming when we talk about reproof or correction. Um, right, I mean whether our belief is orthodox or heretical, um, all that stuff, Jesus deserves the right alone to determine if that's the case, okay? So Jesus tells us if something's heretical or not, if something's orthodox or not, okay? We're on the same page. Um, the church does not belong to you or me. It's Jesus' church, okay? It doesn't belong to us. It's his church. So that brings us to our next supposition. If that's the case, then it really doesn't matter what you think, All right, now I might hear some chords, but I pray you wouldn't judge, you wouldn't pull down the shade as they say in sales, but keep the shade up, all right? Hear the whole counsel, right? And see if it's from the Lord, see if it's biblical, okay? Because that's biblical, it's hard to hear, but it's true, right? Is that at the end of the day, isn't it hard to hear? It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel, right? It matters what Jesus says, period. That's the supposition. Jesus is assuming that, when we start talking about reproving correction. He's assuming that you and I get that, that ain't about you, right? It's his church and he looks at it and based on his word, the third assumption, he determines if we're doing what he wants or not, okay? So it doesn't matter if the world is affirming you in being a really good church person or being a really good church, right? Because if Jesus says, I don't care what the millions of people said, I think your church is demonic. Guess who gets the final say? Christ. Thank you, sis. Jesus gets the final say. So that means in our natural comforts, and we need those suppositions here because in our natural comforts, can we all agree that we can totally be disobeying Jesus and our only way of of knowing if we're pleasing God or not um, is by having a robust understanding of the scriptures. Right? Because then that's going to help us see that, okay, here's my natural disposition, but this doesn't even play into my best interest. But here's the scripture says, so now I need to demythologize my mind and affirm what God is saying. Take the myths out, right? All right. So, for example, can I give a little, a little good case study? We ain't even into the scriptures yet, but I just want to, we got to have these suppositions or we'll start being upset and mad and stuff. So, we need to understand what God is saying. So, for example, one of the things that Christianity is about is about repentance, all right, family? Now, anytime we don't practice repentance of our sin or preach repentance of sin, I want to propose the Bible says we're heretics because Christianity is about repentance. Now, some of you guys may be like, that's kind of harsh, Eric. It sounds like me, right? You guys are like that sounds like my pastor. That's like Eric would say the first thing repentance, and we need to right. But I want to affirm you, that wasn't even mine. That was a quote from J.I. Packer. <laughs> I tricked you, right? <laughs> it wasn't me. It's was J.I. Packer. Right? J.I. Packer was dealing with sin in the church. He was announcing sin and was saying, listen, if we don't deal with repentance, you're a heretic. That's what he told his church. Understanding the assumption is is that it is important in receiving correction, right? And this is the hardest thing for prideful people. Now, here is this is all of us, right? See, Christianity, and don't miss this, assumes and presumes that you and I are wrong. That's how it starts. Let me say that again. Christianity assumes that you and me as a people it starts off, you're wrong and Jesus is right. That's how it starts. That's the basic supposition of Christianity. To be able to become a Christian, you have to admit you're wrong <laughs> and Jesus is right. That's hard for private people. And that we need to change our minds. Now, you know why that's, that's very difficult, guys? Because think about it, a lot of us can come into Christianity, you, you can come and see Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and you can really think, I'm really glad he did that for fire insurance. I'm glad I get to go to heaven. But you can really think you're not that wrong. You can think, I just need, you know, like a touch-up, you know, right? I don't need the whole wax and cleaning in a car wash. I just need a little, just a little detail work, right? That's how you can come into this thing thinking. Well, I want to propose, if you come into this framework of talking about proof and correction, and that's your mindset, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, and yeah, I need a cross and I, I need sin in my life, but I'm, I'm all right. Versus, I am evil. And my intent is to do evil all the time. And I will connive and I am messed up and I need a savior. You'll miss it. You'll miss this. Because that's what Jesus says about you and me. So that's a supposition. He starts off. You can't even read, like you can't even read Proverbs until you agree with that. So we agreeing? Because then I can move on. I won't keep you here. Okay. All right. Now that's hard. Yes, sir. Please. Let me, let me affirm these guys. We ask questions in our body because we always say we're not trying to get smarter. We really want this to lead to worship. And so we want people to understand what we're talking about so we can really implant it in our hearts. So how do you move forward when two people are reading the same scripture on the same subject? Well, hopefully we'll talk about that in a moment. Yep. Got you. So... Uh, that's my bro, JD. He's he's brilliant, which is good to have brilliant people sometimes. Just kidding, but um, yeah. So no, JD's question because I don't know if you, if you heard him. He's saying what happens when you have the same scripture and people are disagreeing on the scripture. And we'll deal with that in a moment. We'll talk about that in a moment. Actually, we're going to talk about that. Um, all right. So so one last thing is Christianity. Now this is this again. One last supposition. Christianity starts. Um, and just to help us understand when we think about the gospel, because I think we got to skewed a little bit. because we talk about come as you are and, you know, right? I'm down with that, right? I mean, I, my mom and dad drug, were drug dealers. I uh, sold drugs, you know, and I didn't have to clean myself up. We don't clean ourselves up. We're dead, and Jesus makes us live. right? But here's the kicker. When you, when you talk about the whole gospel, though, Jesus says Christianity starts with tolerance, correct? But it doesn't end there. Jesus says, come as you are, and then I'm going to change you. So we don't like talking talk about that part. That's, that's actually the real gospel, right? That he, he takes his enemies, makes them his friends, and then they actually like God. See, people won't be in heaven who don't love God. You got that? So, so it assumes that, man, yeah, Christianity is tolerant. And then he wants you to be who you're called to be. All right. So, reproof and correction, I would say the main framework of the subject or the question that's asked um, is, do you really want to be wise? Okay. And we would propose a supposition, wise is skillful living. The assumption is wise, meaning do you want to think and act like the Lord? Okay, that's our true wisdom and understanding is knowledge of the Holy One and living in light of how God has called us to live. We got, if you missed that, you got to go back to one of our first sermons where we sort of give a framework on Proverbs, okay? Because we, we like to try and take everything and put a theological runway on it so that now you can take off and have that framework. And we're saying that because of creation, God wants us to be like him and act like him. So, um, so it asks the question, do you really want to be wise? Okay, let me, let me define some words so we can move in so we can um, continue the process reproof. All right, reproof is to scold or correct, usually gently or with kindly intent, censor, express express dis- disapproval. Uh, what's interesting about reproof and correction is they're kind of different, right? Um, it seems that reproof is kind of a, uh, more of like you, you've done something bad, and there's more of like a, 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 a normal, what we would think of, rebuke to the posture. Reproof is like getting you right, right? It's a, you see the sense of censoring, making sure a person can't even speak out because of their wrongdoing, uh, the sense of expressing disapproval. Whereas correction actually has, I, I see them as like, um, or I used to see them as like synonymous, but they're not. Um, it seems that correction, discipline, and instruction seems to fall in the same kind of place. And in the mindset of a, of a Hebrew, he saw it as, as all pedagogical, that, that basically correction was always about instruction, right? So it was like teaching people on the way they need to go, like what they need to be about, okay? And that the Hebrew mind never didn't draw this huge distinction between like uh, correction uh, and instruction. So, but both of these is basically saying that God has a certain way that he wants us to live, okay? And that when we're not living that way, that God wants us to be put into reproof or correction with the goal of being like who he wanted us to be initially. Does that make sense? That's what we're going toward. So reproof and correction assumes that you and I are, we're, we're going in a way that's not according to, like, God where God wants us, according to God's standards. And then we experience reproof and correction for the fact, in a sense, and desire of being moved back into the lane that God wants us to be in, which will honor him and, and glorify God. Okay? All right, now what I want to do first, I want to show a comparison in the scriptures, and because there's so many scriptures, I just highlighted a few, so they're going to pop up, but I'm going to just um, read the highlighted ones, okay? First, I want to show a comparison between uh, the assumption in Proverbs, again, is that there's a wise person and a scoffer. Okay, uh, a scoffer is a fool, a person who does not, who is not trying to understand or be like Jesus, does not see uh, the need. They have the audacity to think they're their own God, and I'll talk about the scoffer in a moment. But here are uh, some, some comparisons so we can understand the gravity of the situation, all right? I'm starting in verse uh, 8 of chapter 9. Uh, <clears throat> uh, when dealing with the issue of reproof and correction, it says, On the lips of him who has, I'm sorry, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Approve a wise man, and he would love you. Okay, so so obviously this person, you know, you maybe we're that person, or we've met that person, right? You say something to that person, and they totally disband you, uh, maybe malign you even. But yeah, have you have you have you been able to uh, to bring a word of correction to someone who's wise? Uh, they they receive it, they internalize it. Maybe even at first they go ooh, but they eventually say. I want to. I, I get that, and I want to be broken before God, and they, re, they respond. It says on um, verse 1 of chapter 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, uh, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Okay? So I know I use that word here and there, but stupid is a biblical term. And uh, it's right there in verse 1 of chapter 12. And um, he says, I love this. He says, the wise person loves knowledge. And you know where it, you, you really know if you love knowledge, if you can, if you can, receive discipline when you can receive someone helping you become more like Christ and you don't take it personal, right? But he says, uh, the other person hates it, hates it. Why are you telling me something? Right? They hate it. They're they're stupid. Look at this verse 32, whoever ignores of of chapter 15, if you go on down, uh, whoever ignores instruction, despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence, right? At the end of the day, people who ignore instruction. Someone's trying to help you understand something. Uh, someone's trying to, to care for you. You guys have youth leaders, um, young people here, right? And, and their goal, I mean, is to, is to point you to Christ, right? Some of you guys, um, for whatever reason, the Lord has given you the grace to say, man, I want to I wanna listen, I want to learn. And some of you are hard-hearted. And God is saying, don't be stupid, right? He's saying a scoffer does that. A scoffer doesn't take the, the 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 look doesn't look a gift horse in the mouth and say, Oh my goodness, I get to learn what does it mean to walk with the Lord. I get to learn what does it mean to to understand the, the truth and knowledge of the Holy One. I get to learn what does it mean to be a woman and a man, and then kind of goes, Nope, I know I'm you know 15, 18, 16, but I'm gonna be my own God. He says that's stupid. Look at us. You know, we get some pedigree, MacAve, we get some jobs, right? We get a degree. And we start thinking, well, I, I, but I know a lot. My mom and dad told me I was awesome. I, I think I'm awesome. You know, well, what, you go, what, you, what you mean? So you a pastor? I don't care if you've been pastoring for 20 years. He it says, it's stupid. All right? He says, he ignores instructions, right? But the other person gains intelligence. The assumption is intelligence. He gains knowledge of the Holy One. The other person says, man, they've gotten the same rebuke. In the text, the the assumption is that they were were going off track too. See, that's what's cool about the wise person. It's not like the wise person never gets off track. What makes a person wise is when they're willing to get back on the gospel train. Verse 11 to 21 says, When a scoffer is punished, uh, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. Uh, whole point there being, you know, scoffers get punished, they stay hard-hearted, can't believe you did this, you guys are horrible, right? And, and but what happens, what's cool is in the midst of that, you got the simple people, the naive people looking at that and going, okay, I don't want to be like that, right? And they, they say, man, I, I think I want to be wiser than that, right? And so that's, that, we see that even practically in kids' syndromes, right? You know, one of your brother and is always wilding out and you see the other brother and sister going, okay, I think I want to handle this in a different way. Right, Because that ain't working out for this brother. Right? He says, when a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. Okay, I'm just, just going through some frameworks of comparison. I'm going to hopefully shine a gospel in this in a moment. I want to also give you a perspective of what the scriptures say about true love, okay, in the realm of reproof and reproach uh, and, and correction. Um, if you need, I mean, you can write these verses down, but hopefully we'll have them also online for you guys to um, True love in Proverbs assumes that you are, we, you are willing to, with humility, tell the truth to people for the sake of their own good and for God's glory. All right? And that's why it comes to the sense of correction and rebuke. I'm just going to read one verse, verse 23 of chapter 28. I have three up there right now. There's a ton. And we've seen these all throughout our time of Proverbs. This matters in Proverbs. Courage in the gospel for the sake of God's glory to tell people the truth. Look what it says. Verse 23, you guys there? Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Don't you miss that? Let me tell you something. I, in the flesh, am a flatterer, right? What is flattery? That means you're saying things, you're even complimenting people, but your reason behind it is a selfish end. It's not church edification. It's not the person to understand who they are in Christ, right? It's not realizing that people are created with image, value, purpose, and worth and saying, I want you to know that. But it's saying, you know what, if I can say this to you, you're going to think like this about me and that's going to get me this and that's going to get me that. Selfish gain. That's flattery. When you flatter people, when you tell people stuff so that you can come off looking good and you don't really care if Jesus gets his, that's flattery and it's evil. Right? And that's what happens, Right? When your family is not walking with the Lord, brothers and sisters, wiling out, friends saying things, conniving, people gossiping, doing it all on your watch, being unwise, and you sit there and you kind of just, you know, play the middleman. How do I make it where they like me and they like me? right? And that's what you do. There's absolutely no courage. I would propose that's gospel cowardness. You're a coward. And God says he wants you to repent of that. He says here, although, he says, although uh, you rebuke this man, I love this, whoever rebukes a man will afterward, which there's some assumptions there, find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. You know what the assumption is? It probably didn't go well in the beginning. That's the assumption. He probably swung on you, right? But he says, afterward, the person will, will appreciate it. Here's why. This proverb is a truism, and here's why it's almost becoming not even a truism today. Because the assumption here was when Nate told the truth to the person, the person went, ugh, forget you, Nate, and walked off. And then he went to Gary, tell me what Nate said. And then Gary said, actually, it's true. Ah, oh. Matt, what do you think? Actually, buddy, we love you to death, but it's true. Ah. Oh. You know why it's hard now? Because Nate tells him the truth. He goes to Gary. Gary says, what? How do I make sure you like me and you like me? So I'm not going to affirm it. And then, whoa, what about you, Matt? Well, I'm not going to affirm it either. Well, you crazy, Nate. And it never gets to the point where he's going, man, thanks for saying that to me. Because the body of Christ is so divided because we're so concerned about people than the glory of God. And I pray that this church will be a church who will be courageous no matter what come what may. We'll be courageous. We'll tell people the truth. We will be gracious. But we will be on the Lord's side more than people's side. I pray for that. And you can't do that if you're not reading the Bible, staying firmed up in Jesus, in biblical community. You're not going to just do that in nature because you are evil in nature. It's not going to happen. Some of you guys going, why? Why do I struggle with that? Now, let's define a scoffer before we continue to go on. All right, guys. A scoffer is, in a nutshell, these are just some frameworks here. And by the way, even visitors, guys, wherever you go and you're about the gospel, take heed of that. Be courageous. I mean, there needs to be some prophetic speech in my suburban brothers' churches, for sure because y'all getting kind of lazy too. The gospel needs to be clear. There's a cost to Jesus. It's our life. We're not here to preserve our lives. We're here to give it. You guys take that back. Don't fall prey. Just because people are clapping and there's more butts in the seeds. you can be totally dishonoring God. Look at the church in Revelations 2, uh, uh, Thyatira. Right? What does he say? Oh, you guys got great works. You guys are awesome. People coming. Gospel's being preached. He says, but I have this against you. You tolerate Jezebel. You allow sin in the church and you go, but no, but we, we're doing great. We've just expanded this ministry and that ministry. Jesus says, I am holy. Holiness is important. It, it, it displays the divine character of Jesus. So check this out, guys. Scoffer thinks himself a free thinker and casts off all attempts to restrain him, right? Man, isn't that, isn't that American culture? I mean, I know how some of you, I'm going away. I love our body. You know what? Cause we got some crazy people who are in these circles where they got all these people and they have to hold it down with the gospel. Like Sandra. I mean, she's talking to all these people who, you know, she's in all this political realm, all these things she should run for a Y'all need to encourage her in that. But, um, we'll take that off the, off the, you know, CD. So people don't be, you know, I don't know, suing you or something, but, um, but you, you're, in, you're in these environments but just, you're in these environments and everyone is going, "No, I think what I want to think. I'm so free. Everybody tells me I'm the stuff like, I'm to come this, I do this, I run Detroit. you know? I, I, I worry about our body. You guys are doctors and lawyers, and we're, we're in the community and we're doing these things, and, and we're serving our local body, and we're, we're neighboring. And man, I, I think, man, it will be hard not to think, man, I'm, it's all about me. But he thinks himself a free thinker and casts off all attempts. Somebody tries to come in and give insight. What are you going to tell me? Oh, <laughs> well, you know, I went to seminary, right? That's how we start talking. A scoffer is one who ridicules, maligns, jeers, disparages, discredits, or depreciates, specifically authority. You know you're a hater when you can't let people f- lead you. So when someone, someone tries to lead you, you got all this drama. All of a sudden, there's a problem here, problem there, every problem everywhere. Do the hokey pokey, and you, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. Scoffers or scorners are self ignorant, audacious and callous and irreverent. Now, I say that to give them grace. You, we, because right, we all pray to this, and we all have scoffer moments. Can we all affirm that a little bit? <laughs> right? And this is all take off the fig leaf. All right. So, we all have scoffer moments. And the thing is, what's funny is you can get caught up in that to the point where you don't even know you're a scoffer anymore, right? Uh, they think of themselves as in the know and are proud of their skill. I always let that marinate, right? You got a skill, you kind of competent in an area, and you go, man, I know what's going on in this area. What are you going to tell me? I'm a web graphic designer. Boy, what you going to tell me about the internet? All right. They take aim at those near them who stand in authority. Those are just, just cursory things that, I, that I've seen in my years of ministry that I've seen when people are kind of haters, guys. Be aware, there's more. So what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, specifically... Um, verses that that, that show uh, a mindset of a scoffer, of a person who doesn't receive reproach and discipline well. Stay with me, and we need to get up and do jumping jacks, whatever, because I want us to understand we don't want to be this kind of body, okay? Verse 12 of chapter 5 says, And you say how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. You, the, the, the intense terminology that he's keep, he keeps making when dealing with someone, how you handle ridicule, Right? which is huge. And that's what gets our church in so much trouble. At the end of the day, we do all kinds of crazy stuff. But I tell you, our body actually loves well. People are are cared for. But here's, here's the thing that gets it weird. But we will also tell you the truth. What are you doing telling me the truth? And you did it on Tuesday and Wednesday. Are you kidding me? Every day you told me the truth and then you invited me over to dinner, and then you told me the truth again. Now, what I'm learning, can I, can I just have a pastoral moment with you? What I am learning, because that is the strength of our body, I'm realizing that we have to give people more runway to handle that paradigmatic shift. If you come from an environment where people have stroked you and they kind of gave you a little something here and a little something there, but they didn't just say, I'm going to radically love you, but I'm also going to radically tell you what God says. That is a jolt to their system. And what I'm realizing is we as a body have to make sure that we're providing enough runway where people are understanding the doctrines of grace, they're understanding the gospel so that they can receive that huge change, right? That seems so cultural for us. This is how we are at Mac it's, it's the water we swim in. It's not the norm. So we got to be wise, guys. I think it's arrogant for us to say, well, just get understanding and get with it. I think it's arrogant. We need to be wise here. We need to say, look, people, this, this can kill people. So let's make sure we don't thwart the truth. We keep preaching truth. But we need to make sure we're providing for every truth three measures of grace. Consider that, guys, so that we can make sure people are getting that cultivated soil where they're not just dropping dead, you know, from, from truth heart attacks. So, Look what it says in verse 12 of chapter 15. It says, The scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go, go to the wise. He will not go to the wise. Um, isn't that deep? Some people will not even go when they know there's wisdom because they know they're going to tell them something different. We've seen that in Old Testament. Remember? <coughs> um, one of the kings was like, I don't like, um, like what when, uh, when, um, Elijah prophesies. Whenever he prophesies, he tells me things are going to happen bad to me. Right? He says, I don't want to go there. Look at it says here. Um, verse 19 of chapter 29. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he stands, he will not respond. So my point there, guys, is that we see the, um, the fabric of, reproof, of, of people who are not receiving reproof. Hopefully, in our hearts, we're going, man, yeah, I can see that in my life here and there. <clears throat> now, here's the question. If, is it hard to see yourself as a scoffer? Now... It might be. And here's why I want to propose. Here's why. Because uh, we believe in this, in this local body, in sola and primus scriptura, right? Um, I think there's a weird debate that shouldn't be a debate. Basically, I think it was this bad terminology. Primus scriptura basically says that scripture is not our only authority, but it's our highest authority. And we would all agree with that, right? I mean, scripture is our highest authority. We, we submit under scripture. But there are things that scriptures don't even talk about that has, an, that has authority, you know, how to make peanut butter, right? Right? Um, you know, how to play basketball, right? There's other frameworks, okay? So Scripture's our highest authority. Um, and and my point in that is we have general revelation, and I want to propose to you that if Scripture's our highest authority, and I'm asking, like, why well, don't you see yourself as a scoffer, uh, that if Scripture's our highest authority and God is saying the way that we get back to Scripture is by having our our alignment right, so basically we get outside of alignment and God places us back into alignment with the truth of the scripture, uh, I want to propose that that happens only through the work of the gospel, okay? So I want to say the reason why we might not see ourselves as, as, as scoffers, right, is because we might say we have scripture as our highest authority, but we don't ascribe to it. Let me give you another example. What I've been, let me give you an example to make that plain. Everything I've been saying right now, y'all are like, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, right? So it's good theology until it's your mama and daddy who not really walk with the Lord until it's your friend, right? Who's kind of hemming and hawing in their walk with Christ until it's somebody you're close to who uh, gets caught up in a crazy sin, right? Or does something that's evil, right? It's, it's during those times, right? Where you're going, oh man, Right, you, where you, you, you I, I've, I've talked to people who know the Lord, walk with the Lord, and then their sister's not, doesn't love God, and they'll say things like, well, my sister isn't, is, is a Christian, but she's not walking with the Lord. What makes you say that? If you're not, you, that, you can't be a Christian not walking with the Lord. That's the point of Christianity. See, that's hard for some of you guys. I'm just trying to keep it real. Christians walk with the Lord. Okay, so you can't say you don't do anything with Jesus, you don't, you don't care about Christ at all, but you're still a Christian. Why do we do that, right? Why do, why do we do that? Because there's a disconnect. We, it's, it's good theology until we have to practically apply it, and it hits home. I'm just trying to ask us all to beware that when it hits home, that's when you're going to really know if you believe in the theology that you spout. Does that make sense? And it's during those times, and I don't know what it looks like, my mom and dad don't walk with Jesus, right? They're not believers. They, they grew up in, you know, in, in a religious area, inner city. African-Americans, we, we do church. They're not believers. My brother is not a believer. My in-laws, we're, we're wondering where they are spiritually, right? But what, we, what we're trying to learn is we're trying to navigate and learn how to be not naive about it because we love them, but show that we really love them by, by seeing clearly their spiritual t- reality, where they are. It makes no sense for me to feel better about myself and to care for my family and to see them like not being believers and going to hell and then act like everything's cool and then they die apart from God. Then you really don't love them. Do you see that? So when your parents or your friends are modeling that their job is their idol, that's what they love, that's whom they come to, that's whom they serve, that's what has their allegiance, right? You got to ask yourself, What does it look like for you to step in that in a gracious manner and humbly tell the truth? You got me? It's a practical example, guys. Hey, that's why prophets always get killed in the Bible. (laughs) Right? That's why prophets are in the Bible and they're alone and nobody's coming to Christ. And I mean, you read the major prophets and you'll be depressed. I mean, they're like, really, Lord, kill me. I mean, you get the prophets telling them, kill me. I don't like this. Every time I go here, they try to kill me. Why don't you just kill me? And guy's like, no, we won't kill you, Jeremiah. Not yet. We're just going to let you keep preaching the gospel, and no one's going to respond. You know? Really? That's the book. That's the that's synopsis of Jeremiah. You don't need to go commentary. I just gave it to you. Jeremiah preaches the gospel over and over again. Nobody comes to Christ. He man. That's the book. Right? It's crazy. Well, if we are going by our own natural inclination, we'll go, no, there must be something wrong. He probably didn't say it right. This it's Jeremiah. He made a prophet, right? He had a book in the Bible. You better calm down, right? Can't be that, right? It seems to me that God is trying to show us something there, that the goal was to be honest and truthful and kind and loving. Okay? Now, how do you do this, guys? Healthy foundation. Um, to embracing correction, um, I just want to say, uh, first, we, we got to debunk worldly Christian thinking. First, I want to say, uh, this is, these are, these, these, we get bad raps, right? Correction does not equal ungentle or unloving correction. In America, automatically, when you talk about correcting somebody or, or rebuking somebody or something like that, it automatically equals it's going to be ungentle and unloving. That's just not fair. Why does it have to automatically be me cussing you out and going crazy? Why does it have to be like that? Why can't correction be kind and loving and gentle and courageous and long-suffering? Can it also be that? Can we believe the best when someone says, this person said this about him and told him he needed to do this about the Lord? Can we believe the best that it could have been godly? Why do we automatically think it must have been ungodly? Um, but to the other side, if we do not correct gently, it is probably because of Pride and a lack of long-suffering. So if you're correcting and it is harsh, I want to propose it's pride there, and um, there's an issue where you feel like you're more than you ought to be, right? You think, oh, I can't believe you did that. Arrogance. Superiority. Um, Now, here's a biggie. This is the hard thing about correction. Very rarely can you tell a bad heart externally. Now, what I mean by that? Because correction and reproof determines that you and I have a lot of grace for each other, right? So if you're in that group, right, and someone says, "Wow, man, um, you, you know this happened. you dri- why you you know you've been driving for a while without uh, insurance. You know, um, you need to get insurance, man. It's not honoring the Lord." I mean, we we will conv- we will re- we will talk about that in our in our in our small groups. And Say, dude, if you're not living right, you need to live right, right? We're Christians, that's what we do. So you, you you don't have you don't have your insurance, you need to get insurance. All right. Um, and people can go, man, I would never man I would never just say that out the like, why would you just say it in front of all these people? I mean, that was just so ungracious. That was a uh why is that be ungracious? Why is that have to be unloving? It felt weird, I agree. Right? Everyone's kind of squirming in their seat, you know, past the grits, you know, kind of deal. Right? But why does it got to be bad? You see that? To me, I would propose that everybody needs to give grace in that scenario. You don't know the person's heart and why he said it. It could have been because he thought, I would never do that, and how dare you? It could have been totally arrogant. It could have been deeply filled with humility and a love for Jesus and a love for that person. And it seems the only difference is one believes the best and one believes the worst. A wise person, um, verse 23, here's what a wise person does at reproof and correction. I hope we will be these people. Okay, guys? First thing we do, uh, we, uh, it says, if I turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out. Uh, if you turn at my reproof, this is the Father talking, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. I'm going to go down to verse 30 of chapter 20. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the inmost parts. You hear that, guys? I want to sell you today that when someone corrects you or rebukes you, don't take it personal. Rejoice. I want to sell you, ask the Lord to give us grace to receive it for the sake of the gospel. Verse 12 of chapter 25. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. You hear that? All right. So, uh, I just going to give a few factors of, of what happens if you're receiving correction or, or not receiving correction, and then we're going to head home, okay? Uh, these are important factors in correction and reproof. Uh, receiving correction first. These are just some factors I want you to think about. Unteachability is one of the most important, uh, dangerous traits for human, okay? So, so unteachability just flows in us, and I want you to see that and ask yourself, is that me? Also understand, when you're receiving correction, even the most gifted people have areas that need correction, All right? Also, correction is an opportunity to cultivate value in God's glory uh, and other people's good above your reputation. So the reason why we should receive correction is because we get to honor Jesus. We get to show God we we trust you and we care about the good of the community more than, man, you really made me look bad there. Uh, Always remember, God might bring correction through an unexpected person. The question is, Are you willing to learn from anyone? See, one thing I've seen, you know, discipling man, I've been discipling man for about 15 years now, if not more, and I've seen, it's funny, God's given me the grace to have, feel like I have some leadership skills. And it's funny, like people will be receptive to me, but it won't be receptive to other people. And the way we are as people is we kind of, we can kind of put our focus in on saying, I'll respect you and learn from you, but not you. That's absolutely arrogant. As people, you should be willing to learn from anyone, who's preaching gospel truth. Amen, brother. Thank you, my little man. (coughs) Hear this. A wise person is a righteous person. I say that because wisdom is not just intellectual. A lot of times you can, and again, you come to uh, Proverbs and think, oh, okay, I learned this, learned this, learned this. No, A, a wise person is righteous. That's the assumption in Proverbs. If you got all this information and you're still a thug, Right? and you still care about what you It doesn't matter. A wise person is righteous. Um, and what it means by that is he gets that information, and he, it nourishes his body, and he becomes more righteous. Finally, don't miss this. God's Spirit is often hindered um, from working in our lives because of pride, stubbornness, and an unwillingness to change. The Spirit wants to do a lot of work in us, guys, and we hinder the Spirit because of our own junk. Um, finally, I'm going to talk about... Um, Giving correction and reproof. God is the only one who grants repentance and leads to the knowledge of truth. Now, why do I say that? Because if you get that, then you will be free to be courageous in offering correction. See, if you think it's the way you do it, if you do it this way, if you say this, then these people are going to get changed. You, you, you You miss the huge doctrine. You miss the sovereignty of God. See, you can say everything right, and people still try to kill you. Because the point in the gospel, the point is that Jesus is like, I was God. See, that's whenever you think it's about you, look at the gospel and think, so Jesus was perfect in every way, and they murdered him. That means they ain't got nothing. Right? I ain't going to say it better than Jesus. I'm not going to do it better than Jesus. I'm not going to have more scriptures than Jesus. And they put him on a cross, and they mutilated his body. What do you think they're going to do to you? Right? So... For us, we need to go be free and go, okay, it doesn't matter the, the the consequences. Here's what matters. I'm called to dot, dot, dot. All right, guys? God is sovereign in his transaction. And finally, reproofs are sharp objects and should not be used by kids. Um, my point in that is, is you know, just, you know, a guy told me, because, I, I mean, you know, when I first became a Christian, so I went to the Lord, you know, just... I mean, I'm, I still struggle with arrogance. Arrogance was just pouring out my pants at that time, you know? And I remember the guy who discipled me was like, look, e, he was like, bro, you, you got, I think I have the spirit of discernment. He's like, I, I get you. you. You've seen what's going on. You, think you have the spirit of discernment. That's okay. But discernment is meant for prayer. Just because God showed you something, don't mean you going right then, hey, you need to do this. Hey, nah, nah. You, look how mad you did. It was like, this is not wise. And so I was like a kid with a gift. You know, and it, is, and it was sharp, and it was. And I have a lot of relational graveyards because, because of it. So I want to encourage you, when, you, when we do correct people, realize that um, uh, you shouldn't be immature, but be prayerful, uh, and don't be unloving in your approach. Finally, I already talked about it. We hear all this, and we say, well, why do I struggle with correction or reproof? Why do we struggle? And I already mentioned it, so I won't go there again. I'll just say one last time. At the end of the day, if Jesus is shaping our framework, if he's saying holiness is important, if he's saying that reverential fear, we started the book of Proverbs. Don't miss this. He says, he starts with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So he says, the fear of the Lord is how we're starting this thing, that I want you to fear me. I want you to have a reverence of me more than anything else. And then you're going to be able to have the courage to do everything else. I want to propose that the reason why we struggle with reproof and correction is because we don't fear God more than we fear men. That's the reason, is that at the end of the day, we are more concerned about what she's going to think, about what my mat group's going to think, about what my wife's going to think, my husband. We're concerned about what, what other people externally, the people in the other partner churches, church is going to think, that they see this again, and we go there. And guess what? We start, we start kind of massaging our faithfulness. And we lose our prophetic voice for the sake of man's approval. I want to pray that we have more courage in that, family. Here are the takeaways. Here are the three. you put them up, the takeaways? At the end of the day, you and I are, we're at the risk of being despised and hated because of a rebuke, okay, guys? That's it. it. Family of God, that's the reality. You will be misunderstood. Sometimes it'll go great when it's a person who's wise, Right. I mean I mean, man, my elder here, so Alvin, <laughs> when we first came here, the brother wasn't hearing nothing. He was like, Man, what y'all talking about? Y'all crazy. Right? And and what I love about it is God gave him the grace to say, There's some things I would do differently, but I want to be a wise man and I wanna trust the Lord and humble myself. And I think you are a great picture of what does it looked like to just to be wise and to say, I, I want to receive correction for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the community. Uh, and watching you do that, I want to propose that, guys, um, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. If you're new here and you're going, okay, so what I need to learn how to, you know, push back on people. and you if you like, why does this happen? You know, if you if you're new and you don't get the gospel, I want to propose this has a gospel lens. Here's the lens. The reason why Jesus even talks to us about this framework is what I said in the beginning, that was the lens, is that God is assuming that you're wrong, he's right, that he's created all of us for a purpose, the purpose to worship and glorify Jesus. Because we had the audacity to sin, we fell out of that, right? Our image was marred. Jesus, our perfect representative, comes, dies on the cross, rises from the dead and says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be fully human again. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be my friends. I'm going to connect you. I'm going to be the mediator, and I'm going to now draw you back to the Father. And now you're going to be able to do your creative purpose again. And one of those things is to make and to help people understand what does it mean to walk and to be holy. You see that? Because the whole point of him creating us was for us to image God to one another, to remind God of himself as he sees one another, as we image God to each other. And so now the point of rebuke and correction is simply that people can remind God of himself clearly. You got that? It's bigger than just people doing right things. It's about clear image bearing. Invest in teachable people, not in people who don't desire to be teachable. And finally, wise people love love correction and become wiser, and people who are scoffers don't. I'm hopeful for our body because I think we I think we do well in this area of truth telling. I pray we'll be humble as we tell the truth. I pray we'll continue to be courageous, and I pray we'll do it in love, and we'll be willing to be misunderstood for the sake of Christ.